1: Hello there everybody and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast, brought to you by the Manchester Evening News and Happy New Year is the first episode of 2023. My name is Dan Murphy and joining me today as ever is Mr Samuel Lockhurst. Samuel, uh, Happy New Year, my mate.
2: Happy New Year to you as well. We, we, we had one on Monday, but we didn't oh. have the uh, the pleasure of your presence. So it's, it's a Happy New Year to you and a Happy New Year from, from you to the listeners as well. I'm sure they'll be exactly. delighted about that.
1: Exactly, you never spread enough New Year cheer. That's absolutely the truth. Even if it is the second episode of 2023, yeah. as it transpires, as we've as we've said many times, it's this period. We're just coming out of the period of not knowing when any day is. So as soon as we get past this weekend of fixtures, I reckon we'll be back to normal. But also with us today is Mister Tyrone Marshall coming for us live from behind enemy lines. Ty, how's it going? Uh,
0: yes, good. Thank you, Dan. Good. Happy New Year to yourself and to anyone who who didn't listen on. Mm. Uh, New Year's Day I can't imagine what you would possibly have been doing but um, but yeah happy New Year to anyone anyone Mm. and everyone
1: exactly exactly and it's been a good start to 2023 for Manchester United they um, kick things off with a 3-0 victory on Wednesday over Bournemouth keeping their positive run um, since uh, club football resumed after the World Cup alive Samuel and another if not kind of solid from 90 minutes you know for the whole 90 minutes another really kind of comfortable win and yeah. four games now four wins and four clean sheets that's
2: the pleasing aspect about it there were times on um, was it tuesday night against bournemouth again the days will merge into one around this time of year but there were times when they they didn't even get out of second gear and certainly after they scored the second goal there was an element of complacency about them. Bournemouth had a, a decent flurry where De Gea had a few saves to make. He made two, two particularly good saves, one one at the end of the game when it was well and truly won. And Ten Hag is very consistent in speaking in quite a critical nature about these victories. If they've not played to a level, he feels that they should be. And when you look at the Forest and, and the Bournemouth games, they should be winning those games at home. And, and three 0s probably the minimum you expect from those two matches but he clearly wants more. It's, it probably bugs him a little bit they're not third because of the goal difference with, with Newcastle. Newcastle have kept a lot of clean sheets this season, but they've also, you know, they've, they've been, not had as much issue with United as, as scoring goals as well. So I think they're their um their goal difference is some like plus twenty one. United is plus seven, which is very modest. But the most important aspect, I suppose, of, of of United's form is they are putting points on the board. They're on a good run of four wins in a row now in the league. Six, uh, I think it's it's six successive wins, including the cups as well. And really, their next two games they should be winning them. So they they really should be going into the derby on an an eight match winning streak. And I think it's just every time Ten Hag presents himself in a press conference setting or every time he's on the touchline, you can't help but be impressed by him. Uh, he's, he's very demanding, uh, only a few minutes into the games. And that was, again, the case against Bournemouth at the final whistle when he was thanking De Gea for preserving another clean sheet. De Gea later told me that in the mix zone that he was, he, he, the quote he used was that he was a bit angry because of how, how open United were defensively. And this is after winning a game 3-0 at home on a night that Newcastle didn't exactly drop points. That was a point gain for Newcastle and they're doing very well this season. But they've had a lot of very good results, nearly half a dozen results elsewhere going their favour over the last uh, three or four days. And there's there's a a good, you know, there's a good amount of distance between United and Liverpool. You don't really look at Tottenham at the moment and have any faith of them, faith in them uh, pushing United close. Even though there is a long, long way to go and, and things can turn around as as Conte did. Last season with Spurs, but United on form are one of the best, one of the best best teams in the country at the moment. And again, we're not at the halfway point yet. Ten Hag keeps on stressing there's room for improvement, and there clearly is when you watch their games. And at the moment, you you've got a lot of faith in them to to move up a few more levels before the end of the season.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Ten Hag wasn't the only one kind of critical of that kind of second half lull in which they've had, you know, United were 2-0 up, but they did kind of take the foot off the gas. A touch, you they relied on David De Gea to make a string of three saves, three or four saves, um, two within close succession. So, as I say, Ten Hag wasn't the only one remaining critical. Victor Lindelof said after the game that um, United needed to control the game better, even though were 2-0 up, they kind of gave too many chances away. But it's nice to see that that kind of mentality is kind of seeping through the whole squad. A win isn't good enough just on its own. It's great. But then um, the performances and the control of games matters just as much.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it, it kind of, we've been talking about it here. You mentioned earlier, behind the I mean, lines. I've been at uh, City today doing Pep's press conference ahead of the Chelsea game. And a few, a few of us here were at the game last night, and a few watched it. And it, it just, it feels like they've just become this, you know, winning machine might be overstating it at the moment, but they are just winning games and making it look very simple. They did it on Saturday. And, um, you know, that, that was, that was the kind of game that they wouldn't have won in the last two or three years on, on Saturday against Wolves. They found a way. Once you start winning games, you just find a way to win games. And like I say, last night, they were they were decent without being at their best. Ten had, had words for them after the game, but they won 3-0. They kept another clean sheet, some key players scored. And it does all just feel like it's it's going very well at the moment. I mean, this is you know, this, this is as good as it's been at United for a, for a long, long time, really, dating back to at least the sort of first first or second Mourinho season, you would say. Um, it feels like everything's pointed in the right direction and the, the quality they're showing on the pitch is, is the highlight of it. it. It's clear the manager is the most important person at that club now. That that wasn't the case for Ranić. It wasn't the case for Solskjaer. Mourinho tried to make it the case. Perhaps he was too confrontational at, at times. Um, but it feels like Ten Hag has struck that right balance at the moment in terms of the way he's dealt with Garnaccio and Ronaldo and Rashford and yeah, the, the, the way they are playing on the pitch, they're, they're not always at their best, but it's a 38-game season, you're not going to be your best for 38 games in a season, you've just got to find ways to win and the fact that they've won successive home games 3-0 against average sides when goal scoring against average sides has been their difficulty this season, I think shows the, the change in, in mindset there as much as anything this season.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And this this kind of streak of winning does kind of stretch back further than um, you might remember. I mean, the, it goes all the way back to the 2nd of October, that game when they lost 6-3 against City and were kind of humbled and it, things didn't look good at all. But in the reaction to that, United did really well. They rallied in the 16 games since. They've won 13, the only defeat coming against Aston Villa. And the draws come in against Chelsea, which was a good point, and Newcastle, which might not have felt it at the time, but certainly looks a lot much better point than it did now, given how well they're doing in, in the games since. And Tenaga, as we said, he's had a great start to his tenure as United manager in the first 20, he's managed 25 games now. 18 of them have ended in victory, which is more than um, Sir Matt Busby, Sir Alex Ferguson, even Oleg and Assaltshire, was obviously hired off the back of his excellent start to life in Manchester. Mourinho, Van Gaal, Moyes, of course. So he's, he's had an absolutely amazing start, uh, Samuel. And, it, you know, it resulted, I think there's still not playing attacking, they're still not playing attacking-wise as good or as exciting consistently um, as, as as Ten Hag's Ajax teams did, but we're seeing flashes and there was three good goals against Bournemouth, the opener was Casimiro turning in a really well-delivered free kick from Ericsson, Luke Shaw started and finished an absolutely sweeping move, and then he was also involved in the third goal, a crossfield pass for Bruno Fernandes to tee up Marcus Rashford for his 12th goal of the season, and you know, they're not doing it all the 90 minutes yet and they could be doing better, but to do it three times at least and making a resulting goals is certainly great and the quality of goals United are scoring is really um, nice to see and, you know, it's, it's, it's resulting in a, a happy Old Trafford. I,
2: I didn't know that stat about uh, Ten Hag having a better record in his first 25 games and all those managers you just mentioned, which again, it... it, it... Whatever the mitigation that that reflects very favourably on him. Uh, Ty had a good stat about um, United's calendar year of 2022, and that the first 24 games were as ranked with Rangnick as manager. The next 24 games were with uh, Ten Hag, and I think they was it eight wins under Rangnick, and it was 17 wins under Ten Hag. 17. However you um, however way you look at it, he he has improved the club at just about every level that he he possibly could do and there is there is still a lot of potential there. He, his his hit rate with signings has been very good, but the most expensive, Anthony, who, who was injured last night, but when I was told a couple of hours before kickoff that he wasn't playing, I, I wouldn't have been surprised if he'd been dropped, because he has been generally underwhelming for United, and Ten Hag was pretty critical and demanding of him the last time he scored. Now, pe- people might look at that quote and think, well, is that the manager to blame for the, the players' slump in form and him then going a few months without scoring? But it isn't because he's done so much good work elsewhere, and everyone would be pinning Anthony's performances on on Anthony. He's been playing where he wants to play. You can't really um, knock ten Hag for, for for the way he's managed him at all. That's that's all on him. And as as, as you said, you know, I, I, looking back at his quotes after the I think it was the Tottenham game, which was obviously their best performance of the season. He said at the time, he said he told the players how how enjoyable it was to watch them, and I suppose that's the one thing missing from this sequence of wins. He's he says they're entertaining in patches. Against Tottenham, from start to finish, it was rip roaring stuff. The the two 0 scoreline massively flattered Spurs. And of course, United, what they want from a manager, they do want an entertaining style of play. Uh, it's what the fans demand. They are obviously going to be patient with that under Sen Hag because of what he inherited uh, in the summer and, and the state they were in for much of last season. So he's had a lot to fix in that time. And solely but surely, they are making very gradual progress, whilst other teams who, certainly at the start of the season, I would have looked at. Liverpool and, and Tottenham and thought that they would finish above United, uh, Chelsea as well possibly, but certainly I think in, in my prediction I'd United down as, as fifth at the start of the season. So if United to be above Tottenham and Liverpool at this stage is, is very good going for them, I wouldn't say it's necessarily surprising because where we've become accustomed to observe in Ten Hag spending a little bit of time with him, it's clear that United got that job Absolutely spot on. Whether he turns out to be a success remains to be seen, of course, and he'll obviously be judged on that in, in due course. But the way it's going at the moment, you they clearly got that decision right. I don't think that anybody would dispute that now. And I was one of those who thought that Pochettino was a more suitable option. But the reassuring thing, I thought, was, was when one of uh, Ten Hag's confidence in, uh, in in the Netherlands stressed how much of a disciplinarian he is, and he's instilled that in the dressing room. And he gets responses from players, whether it's individually in Rashford's case or collectively. That, that point against Chelsea, as you said, was so valuable because Ronaldo was dropped from the squad that weekend. And it was a game they, they had a good chance to win as well. They were very dominant in the first half. But the manner of getting that point with Casemiro's header uh, in, in added time and the celebrations, that was, at the time mind, it might have felt like such a big step forward, but in retrospect it was probably a bigger point than it did seem at the time, and even at the time you could tell how important that was for the harmony of the squad. And. It's even more harmonious now because Ronaldo's out of the picture and, again, De Gea describes United as a proper team to me last night, uh, which is clearly he didn't feel they were last season and he had a very good view of that given the amount of goals he was chipping in and uh, how how poor as they were and the other other various issues that um, engulfed them last season. So they're in a very good place at the moment and it'll it'll be really fascinating to see how they progress this month specifically given the next two... Uh, Premier League games against City and Arsenal and and the Cup games as well.
1: Hmm. Well, one player who's certainly kind of having a good start to the year and is having a good season compared to last for sure is Luke Shaw, Tie. He backed to left back um, against Barnsley after I've had a nice little spell in the middle of defence, and um, he kind of caps off a really um, good week uh, with a lovely goal and that teed up lovely, um, lovingly, lovely, well, done nicely. I don't know, kind of malfunctioned a little bit there. Teed up really well by Ganaccio, um, Again, another kind of attacker showing um, experience well beyond his years and his decision making. And yeah, a really kind of great week for Shaw. Uh, teed off with a, a great goal.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, he was excellent at, at centre back during his his spell there. We've seen him play that role in a in a back three. I don't think we've seen it in a two previously. And Ten Hag's comments about it have obviously been very interesting with regard to the left footed build up. That's something he, he clearly values. And you wonder if Shaw might end up being almost Martinez's his backup for that role ahead of the other three centre backs. But his still his best position is still left back. He's comfortably a better left back than Tora Molasia at the moment. For me, he's another player who. Ted Hark has undoubtedly improved and and developed this season. We know Shaw has has got it. He obviously had a brilliant season a couple of years ago with the caveat it was behind closed doors, but then he went to the Euros and and played brilliantly under pressure in the Euros. I think he's one of of these players who came back from the Euros, these England players, and and really struggled after that tournament and struggled to get going again last season. And as the season descended into the the chaos it was for United, I, I just think there was no time to kind of get their heads back in the game and their confidence back. But with Rashford and Shaw this season, you're, you're really seeing an improvement. Shaw showed in that campaign two years ago that he can be a real threat going forward. And we saw that last night. And like I said, as good as he's been centre-half, he's he's a very good left-back, I think, and is good enough to be playing week in, week out for United at, at left-back. We've we kind of been in this position still, and we mentioned it at the start of the season, that Shaw's been pushing, must be pushing 10 years now at United. And we still don't quite know if he was good enough or not. You know, since he was very unlucky with that injury, but he only really had that one really good season. The rest there was big question marks about whether he was at the level required. And I think he's showing under Tanag at the moment that he, he probably is. Certainly if you were to compile a list of areas that need strengthening at the moment, I think left back would be would be way down the list for United with, with Malacia's youth and and Shaw's performances. And he, he was uh, excellent last night.
1: And on another position that probably doesn't need much strengthening, at least for the time being, Samuel, is midfield. Casemiro and Fernandez once again putting in standout displays. And uh, the farmer there, um, as, especially Casemiro, he's just become <clears throat> such an absolute linchpin in that side.
2: He has. Uh, it's not a coincidence that since he came into the team, they've, they've only lost one game in 16, is it, I think you said. Uh, I, I remember right watching that game at City on, what was it, 2nd of October, and I always felt it was a little bit peculiar that Casemiro, who's something like six weeks into his career at United, and he still hadn't started a league game, and that was always going to be costly in a, in a game like that, where you've got a makeshift stopgap of a defensive midfielder in McTominay, who... Through no fault of his own, really, he, he's, he's got a ceiling, but it, it really did show that day City were uh, were utterly ruthless. And there were other issues as well about United. But if you're not starting Casemiro in a game like that, then you are kind of asking for trouble. And that was probably one of the lessons that Ten Hag learnt from it. Following week at Everton, he got robbed for, for, for Iwobi's goal early on, but then he won the ball back and he played that brilliant pass for Ronaldo to score the winner. And he's, he's rarely performed badly since then. He's even against Wolves. It wasn't. He looked a bit lethargic at times. Maybe understandable given that he was he was playing a bit more regularly for United and obviously the the pace of the Premier League compared to the World Cup is a lot more intense. But he's still the guy that Ten Hag is beckoning over to show him his his tactics binder midway through the second half. He's he's very much Ten Hag's left hand on the pitch. That was that was pretty clear when the two of them spoke in in San Sebastian, ahead of the Sociedad game in, in November. And the, his, his goal last night was, was super, supremely well taken. Uh, it, was, it was a bit reminiscent of, as I said, a very niche reference. Uh, Ashley Young's Chris Small in the 2011 Community Shield. So I'm sure there are about 10-year-olds out there. or if, if there are indeed 10-year-olds or 15-year-olds, however old they might be, they probably have no recollection of that whatsoever. But those two players, Casmir and Erickson, have been... Uh, t- terrific signings. I mean, Eriksson really is, is, is a steal. You, you, the more you think about it, the more peculiar it is that more clubs weren't in for him. Maybe there was some some uh, hesitancy there over what what happened in, in Copenhagen uh, during the Euros, but he, he showed at Brentford last season what a terrific player he is when he's he's got the platform and, and he's fit and healthy. And, and what's really impressive about Fernandes is that some of his best performances this season have come in games where, He's, he's actually been shifted to the wing and he, Ten Hag's tried to accommodate van der Beek as, as that playmaker. And let's be honest, van der Beek hasn't really shown anything to suggest that he's worthy of that role in the United shirt. And rather than Fernandez uh, kicking up a fuss about it or having his nose put out of joint, he he comes up with contributions. And last night he, had, he he was placed centrally to lay the ball off to Garnacho for the second goal. And it was a lovely, deft little layoff for, for Rashford who couldn't really miss with that third goal. So they're, they're looking in a very, very good place as far as the spine is concerned. I mean, last night their central defenders were probably third and, and fourth choice. But as far as... Casemiro, Erickson, and, and Fernandez go, they're non-negotiables really. Uh, they those those three have to start as, as many games as possible. And I think the only league game that Fernandez hasn't started in this season was was at Villa when he was suspended. But it was a little it is a little bit peculiar that Ten Hag has played with his role a bit, but maybe that's part of his process of trying to educate him and that Fernandez is not completely aligned with the kind of playmaker that that Ten Hag likes. But because his impacts are so profound, and that he can he can create something out of nothing, and, and Chelsea away was a really good example of that in the first half. He he sprung up, I think two of two of the three chances they had that afternoon in the first half. You you've got to you, maximize that asset as much as possible, and his mentality is exactly the kind of mentality uh, a manager would would want to have in his team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, he's he's been returning to his best, and it's great to see. And well I thought you mentioned there, something that was interesting, was the the, the centre back thing. There, you know, Maguire probably started a bit unexpectedly coming in um, with the captain's armband on, and though we didn't. You know, probably was a perhaps um, a typical kind of Maguire display, not quite the confidence we've seen him display again in an England shirt. But he kept a clean sheet alongside Lindelof, I'd say perhaps maybe even further down as a fifth choice given Shaw's kind of emergence. But a second string centre-back partnership there, tie coupled with makeshift um, centre-back pairings of either Casemiro and Varane or Shaw and Varane in these last four games and clean sheets in all of them. That certainly bodes well for a really heavy fixture list um, in the coming months that United suddenly do have out of nowhere six actual decent options for centre-back and (laughs) that they're all at least, you know, maybe they conceded chances, but (laughs) at least not conceded goals.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, the defensive record recently has been absolutely exceptional. I think it's September, the last time they conceded at at Old Trafford. So they are doing very well defensively. There's no doubt Ten Hag has, has tightened them up. I think it's as much due to Structure, the structure of the team and the sort of strength of that midfield now in the presence of Casemiro as it is improvement in individual defenders it was pretty obvious last year that they were far too open. The midfield under Solskjaer especially and under Ranić was just lacking any kind of structure they'd often lose the ball and have no midfield to protect defenders there were times last season when they'd turn over possession 70 yards from their own goal and players would be running at Maguire and Lindelof and, and Varane and that's just not happening anymore so I think that's made Life easier for the defenders. Like I said, the defensive record is superb at the moment. The The real interesting test is going to be that game against City in, in 10 days now, when that's that's going to be put to the test and we're going to see real signs of sort of how big that improvement over the last few months is. But it, it, it does look good. Like I said, the changing personnel didn't affect it too much. It was only Monday's podcast when I was being asked if it was the end of the road for Maguire at, at United and then suddenly he's in the team and playing and, and doing a pretty decent job. I still think it's it, it's probably the end of the road come the summer, I, I don't think this situation is sustainable for him or the club really, but it does show that he's he's still a, a decent defender and if he gets his confidence back he's still a decent defender, but I don't think that's going to happen for him at United and I don't think it's a a sustainable situation really for a club captain to be fourth or fifth choice and a player for that transfer fee to be fourth or fifth choice. but. I think what it does show, like I said, is is the improvements Ten Hag has made just to the balance of the team and the structure of the team and the, the setup in and out of possession. And they just look they look a team that is a lot better coached than they were, twelve months ago, eight months ago. The the improvement in that regard is is stratospheric.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. And you know and you know what that leads to, uh, Samuel. You can you, know, you can dread from it, you can run from it, but premature optimism will get you no matter where you go. And already with United's kind of upturn in form, there are the, the starting of little whispers of little suggestions of can United challenge for the title? Ah uh, surely it's a little little bit early for that sort of talk. But only one point behind City, a level one points for Newcastle and who knows, eh?
2: Yeah, uh, I think everyone knows that it's, it's not going to happen. It's, it is It is interesting, the the proximity they are to, to City and the fact they've reeled in Newcastle in this um, this sequel to the 95, 96 season that, that nobody wanted or nobody even expected this season. Uh, Newcastle, as I said, I, I think everybody expects them to fall away. Maybe not that far off. Uh, they're, they're doing very well. They don't concede many goals. I think if they were to finish in the top six, that would be a tremendous season for them. But I, I certainly still don't expect them to finish in the top four, and, and that's still got to be the minimum aim for United to just qualify for the Champions League, because of the context of, of last season. It's it's a different it's it's a different case with with Arsenal because Arteta has been there more than three years. They obviously had a dreadful start uh, to last season, but. Towards the end of the season, they were building momentum. They were looking like a serious team again. They've made some very good signings in the summer, and they are a serious side again. That's why they've been top the league for the majority of the season. It's interesting watching Arteta um, appealing up over that nonsense handball in the Newcastle game. He he does strike you as a man who knows. If Arsenal do fall behind, uh, City most likely they're they're not going to have a prayer. They're not going to quite know what to do it's, it's it's as if they don't have the coping mechanisms to to get themselves back out in front and so the best way to do it is to stay out in front for as as long as possible w- with United it still comes back to the attack and you look at Arsenal they've scored 40 goals this season City have scored 44 um Newcastle haven't scored as, as many uh, many more than United than I thought but they've they've still outscored United which you wouldn't have expected at the start of the season And where Marshall's had this consistent run of six games, he's been brought off in each of them. Uh, i was saying to ty earlier the, the most read on our website this morning was a martial injury update which was a little i was slightly despondent about because it, it's it's difficult to discern whether he's actually injured or not most of the time and ten hag actually was asked was he okay and he said yeah I think so i mean yeah. I, I think 10 Hag didn't think much of the fact that he'd he'd gone off injured and I don't, I don't think he's necessarily expects him to be out of the Everton game or anything drastic like that but it still comes back to the attack and they are still struggling for goals. I mean, Liverpool obviously took Bournemouth to the cleaners at the start of the season. Nobody's expecting another 8-0 or, or 9-0 um, f- from United against a team who, uh, f- yeah, as, as inexperienced as Gary O'Neill is, he's doing a pretty good job there, all things considered. Even though it still might come back to uh, you know backfire for, for Bournemouth actually appointing him on a permanent basis. But as far as the title is concerned, it was it was the last question asked of Ten Hag in his press conference. And th- th- there's a curious element about it. I think if United were to, you know, dare, dare I say, it, if they were to beat City and Arsenal, then I think people are, are forgiven for, for getting excited. But you go back two years to the behind closed doors season and they did get to the top in January, but it was misleading because where the start had been delayed by a month, we weren't even at the halfway stage. And of course, when they had that seemingly it seemed like a home banker against Sheffield United they were top they they lost their nerve they got dizzy and then they fell away quite easily they didn't lose many games after it but there were a lot of it was a very soulless period of, of nil-nils I seem to remember and, and the odd win and February was was quite a humdrum month so there are different sides to that side obviously uh, and they've, they've got characters with a, with a greater winning mentality who have been there and done it before albeit mainly in different leagues, and, and someone like Martinez winning the World Cup, that's got to help matters. But it's still extremely premature to to even regard United as, as, as possible title challengers. They've still got a long, long way to go. But it will be fascinating to see what happens in the derby and against Arsenal, because mm-hmm. that will be a good gauge of where this team is at at the moment.
1: Yeah, absolutely, you took the words out of my mouth there, because Ty, as I say, Premier League, there's only two Premier League fixtures left for United this month, I believe, and it is the home Manchester Derby against City and uh, the reverse against Arsenal. They've already beaten Arsenal once this season, of course, and the only team to do so in the Premier League so far as well, um, which still seems quite a, quite a bizarre one, but if, you know, if City aren't by any means um, in their best run of form at the moment, they have just drawn uh, to Everton, who we'll, who we'll touch on momentarily, and but they've, they've not been playing well probably since that uh, that uh, evisceration of United and so and um, United have shown they can beat Arsenal. If they pick up six points there, and, and and as Samuel rightly points out, it still won't even be the halfway mark, I don't think. Um, so it's, you know, it's still early, but the complexion of the table is certainly going to be an interesting one, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is. And I think you know, it, it would set that derby up brilliantly. To whisper this quietly, given about City at the moment, but it would set the Derby up brilliantly if City didn't win tomorrow night and uh, and United could go above them. But they've certainly been closing the gap. And I mean, what, what makes the job Ten Hags now all the more incredible is is those first two results he, he had. And we, we touched on those stats before that's 18 wins out of 25 now, when I mean, his first two games were a 2 1 defeat at home to Brighton and a 4 0 loss to Brentford. So it's 18 wins out of 23 since then, which, you know, if you'd have told me and Samuel that at uh, uh, I was going to say Griffin Park then, but at Brentford back in August, I, I think we'd have both fainted and not purely due to the astonishing temperatures that were, that were hitting West London that day. It's, um, you know, it's it felt like anything was possible and, that day, didn't it? It did. Yeah, it did. I remember coming on a podcast on the Monday afterwards and saying, you know, there's been so many new days over the last 12 months that it's doubtful this is the lowest, but it turned out it was the lowest and the improvements since then have been excellent. And I think, you know, title talk is, is clearly premature. Um, but top four looks, I think, bordering on nailed on, to be honest. Now, they're, they're, they're a far better team than, our, than, um, than, than Tottenham at the moment, than Chelsea at the moment, than Liverpool at the moment. And uh, they're building up this momentum. And you, you just think, you know, I think that they're certainly capable of finishing third in this league. Very comfortably.
1: Yeah you'd like to think but um, that's kind of the Premier League on a little bit of another break now um, for a few days at least as kind of attention's turn back to the domestic cup competitions next week United do have a Carabao Cup semi-final but first Samuel Everton in the FA Cup third round as I just touched on there they might have drawn with City but that hasn't kind of alleviated any of the pressure on Frank Lampard as his side were an absolutely battered 4-1 by Brighton on Tuesday night and as you kind of touched on at the start of this podcast, uh, if United don't get a victory here and move on to the fourth round, it would be a, a massive disappointment to say the least.
2: Yeah, Everton are in disarray and when United played at Goodison in October, they'd actually recovered from a a, a pretty patchy start to the season and they, they look like a like quite a tough team to actually come up against, but uh, I, I think that was that was just an anomaly that period. Uh, they they made a mistake hiring Lampard, as they made a mistake with most of the previous uh, managerial hires they've um, they've they've made since since Moyes, uh, which is I mean you, you're now looking at nearly ten years ago now, and Moyes got some justifiable stick there because he didn't really. I think they were, a lot of fans were conscious that he had a ceiling and that he wouldn't try and break that ceiling then Martinez came in and and he did they finished 5th in 2014 but then he was i mean it's ridiculous how positive that man is in defeat and it, it still seems to seem to be the case when he was Belgium coach and they've they've not They've not really got it right since then. There seems to be this uh, this split between uh, Bill Ken Wright, who's been uh, at the club for for a number of years, and uh, Fahad Mashiri who's put a lot of money into the club over the identity. I didn't see they want of a manager, and Mashiri always wants someone a little bit more exotic or a name. And Lampard was the compromise. Benitez was apparently a compromise, but that that, that if you were to try that appointment. 100 times it would fail 99 times so it wasn't a surprise that he got sacked when he did last season and with lampard i still find it quite incredible a little bit similar with gerard as well in that they've 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 managed some very high profile british clubs uh, at the start of their career and that's because mainly their their names i mean lampard did a reasonable job at derby when they got to the playoff final uh, he did okay for a season at chelsea but then as soon as the transfer ban was lifted and the expectations were raised he was, he was quite swiftly cast aside. With Everton, it's always seemed a mismatch to me, uh, apparently. I was told that he gave a brilliant presentation to Everton. They hired him on the strength of that. But when you're relegation fodder and you're trying to sign Anthony Alanga in the January transfer window to get up the table, your, your, judgment, your judgment is not sound, really. And... I mean, Everton tossed it off in the League Cup earlier this season, didn't they? At Bournemouth, I think they got battered. Was it 4-1? I think it was 4-1 and 3-0 twice in the same week at, at Bournemouth in the in the Cup and the League. I would imagine that with this Cup game on Friday, just everything about it, the, the Friday night slot, Everton's defeat to, Bour- uh, to Brighton, sorry, and the fact that the Premier League is the priority for them, it just has the makings of Lampard making these changes that accept that look, we're not, we don't really, we're not really invested in this game tonight, even though it might give them a confidence boost. But United are getting them at a good time. I, I can't really see anything other than United win. United will make certain changes, but as we've said before, Ten Hag doesn't really do weaken teams. It's going to be a pretty formidable side for an FA Cup third round tie. Uh, against, again, one of the league's uh, lower teams. United have been quite fortunate in that sense and that since the World Cup they've they've come up against teams who have been, what, the bottom five, bottom six of the table in the Premier League and, and now that's the case with this FA Cup game on Friday.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just a shame it's not at Goodison Park to hear another iconic boo from the uh, from the Everton supporters. Nobody does it better, Ty. But yeah, Samuel mentioned there um, United. You know, likely to name a strong team here tonight. You know, as always said, he's modus operandi. He's been trophies, trophies, trophies. Obviously, the top four is a name as well, but. He he's always in any interview about his goals for the season and his highlights of twenty twenty two. It was winning the league at Ajax and his goals are to, to lift more silverware. So I can't see him um kind of throwing away an opportunity like this. But what, do you reckon there could be some changes here? What do, it's, it's interesting because he kind of named probably one of his weakest teams um in the league in Bournemouth at least in defence and you know mm. Van der Beek starting was kind of unsurpri- uh, was kind of surprised as well. So that, that team kind of seemed more like a team that would start in an FA Cup match. So do you think he yeah. could actually go a bit more stronger this time, you know, Varane coming back perhaps?
0: Quite possibly, yeah. I mean, you look at Varane and Martinez on the bench and you think maybe they'll maybe they'll start this game because you could make changes then against Charlton. I think the, the following week, the Charlton game, although yeah. it's a, a quarter-final, is clearly even easier than, than Everton at the moment, in theory. Um, so I think, there's, I think there's enough scope over the next two games to maybe make three or four changes in each game, really, and, and give players a rest. Um, you can certainly see Garnacho starting at least one of them. Uh, I was going to mention Sancho then, but I mean, who knows what, what Sancho's situation is at the moment. But Alanga might get a start against Charlton, maybe. We could look at bringing Malassia in. There's enough competition at right back with Wambasaka now to give maybe Dallow a game, bring him back into the starting lineup against Everton, and, and then play Wambasaka against Charlton. Malassia can play at left back. But Tommy and Fred could play in midfield in in one of those games, so I think there's there's enough scope there to, to be making changes. You would say Everton is is the tougher game, so you'd probably have a slightly stronger team. Um, but the, the you know the gaps between the games Tuesday, Friday, Tuesday work out fairly well too. They're all at home, so you know the, the fixture list has been pretty kind, and I think we we will see changes. Like you say, I, I was surprised at the number of changes last night. With that being the Premier League game, I thought it had gone as strong as possible, and then. Made changes here, but I guess now you certainly defensively you're probably looking at Varane and Martinez against Everton, and then maybe rest them both against Charlton ahead of the derby.
1: Well, we certainly look forward to that match and talking about it. But to kind of turn our attentions. Uh... Briefly over to the transfer window because it is January now. It is in full force. There hasn't been much movement yet on United's hunt for striker, but the goalkeeper situation Samuel is rather interesting. We kind of got updates on multiple fronts here because David De Gea um, is opened uh, talks with a new deal. He curiously didn't have his current deal um, extended um, along the along the likes of uh, Rashford, Fred, Shaw, and there is another one in there somewhere whose name escapes me. Diallo, Um but. He is now in talks to extend it even further, and he recently said to the MEN. And expects the talks to end in a good way. And then, with the Martin Depravka situation, he got recalled by Newcastle. Um, it looks like United uh, could be making an approach for Jack butland a once prodigy who hasn't quite lived up to those heights but he's certainly um well he's kind of taken the scott carson approach to goalkeeping a bit earlier (laughs) than a bit earlier than um carson himself and other famous ones of that role but um he he, you know he's decent pedigree for a backup that's for sure
2: yeah he's 29 as well he's been around for a while but he did emerge at Birmingham, I think it was at quite a young age and he was on England's radar as well. I think he might have made his England debut in 2012, so he would have been quite quite precociously young even. He must have been a teenager when he did that. I can't, I, I can't remember for the life of me his, his debut, but I think he was around the setup at that point. Um, it, it fits the profile. I mean, he, he spent a fair amount of time in the north with, with Stoke as well, so perhaps that appeals to him. I think it's logical for United to look for... Another backup goalkeeper. I, I would argue that Butland's profile is maybe a little like Debravka's. It's it's too high profile. They they could go for an an older keeper. Um, I think if Butland's coming in at the age of twenty nine, and you've got Heaton at the who's who's thirty six, there's still a bit of uncertainty as to who's actually number two. Uh, I think at Palace, obviously is the number one, and I forget completely that Sam Johnson's there as well. Who uh, I mean, talk about someone who's in there. Comfort zone and, and has his lack ambition. I was always very very, um, you know, perplexed by his career path at United, and that he'd sign these contracts and and stay at the club, and yet he would claim that he was ambitious. And he he's shown for West Brom, and, and when he was on loan at Villa, that was a you know he's, he's got good good ability as a goalkeeper, but he's made some moves that. Have ensured that he was not going to get any football whatsoever. And again, as I said, I completely passed me by that he's he's actually at Palace. But I think Butland's been getting on the bench recently, I presume because of an injury to Johnston. But that would indicate that Butland's number three there. So it, I suppose in that sense, it, it does it does make sense if he's going there just to be happy with it. It is still very strange for a 29 year old goalkeeper to be of that mindset that they, they just want to, you know do the warm-ups and pick up the cones and be a, a spare piece that, that that is really a role that a, a, a mid-30s or a late 30s keeper should be fulfilling but clearly there, there's a there's a niche market for it that, that's and, and Scott Carson as you say has probably uh, blazed a trail there so uh, it looks like it, there shouldn't be too, too many issues with that happening and if he is indeed the number three at Palace and if Johnston is Is back sometime soon, then I don't really see why uh, that that shouldn't happen. And you know, I suppose United have acted pretty swiftly to uh, to try and get someone in after Dubravka went back to Newcastle.
1: Uh, Ty, what do you kind of reckon to the De Gea situation? Because you know, De Gea has been having a a really good season, um, looking kind of back to his best, continuing his fine form from last year, of course, which kind of kind of sent uh, Dean Henderson packing and. But I think there's always been this concern that he isn't quite as good on the ball as you'd want for a Ten Hag team and the fact that he's now getting a new deal and presumably Butland, if it's not a loan and it's a kind of a permanent signing, he's going to be there for a bit. Henderson coming back in the summer. Again, United are kind of back to square one with having four keepers who would, well at least two of them would reasonably see themselves wanting to be first choice and then two would, you know? You'd like to think Butland at 29 would want to at least have ambitions of playing a bit more regularly than you know, just the, just in training. Um, and again, United might want to look at a, a keeper who's a bit more in line with Ten Hag's style potentially. It's a, it's, a, it's a strange one that United, like a whole United, can't really seem to get rid of them, get themselves out of. And it's surely going to have to change in the summer with a permanent departure, probably on a Henderson's end. It would look like.
0: Yeah, I think Henderson is, is almost certain to be off in, in the summer. He's not going to want to come back and be number two again. I think we've established that much. I mean, for the rest of this this season, I think the only question is going to be who's number two. I don't think Jack Butland will be coming in under any um, thought, really, that he can challenge De Gea. And obviously, that's going to be a loan. We know Tom Eaton's contract's up at the end of the season. Given the uncertainty, it, it probably makes sense to try and keep Eaton for another year as, as third choice. Um and then sign a a number two and maybe a number two who can put a bit of pressure on De Gea. But, you know, the contract makes a lot of sense, really. It was a difficult one because there was no way he could stay at United on 375 grand a week. He's, He's the best paid keeper in the world. With all due respect, someone who is a very good goalkeeper and has been a remarkable servant for United. He's not the best goalkeeper in the world, but he has been very good recently. He's very good at keeping the ball out of his net there is the thought process about getting someone who, who fits better to Ten Hag's system. But, you know, you, since that Brentford game, they've, they've obviously played out from the back less and you're not, you're not watching it at the moment thinking De Gea's a problem in that team. Far from it, really. And yeah. and maybe there'll be a gradual condition, can sort of, gradual change and, and phasing out in the next two or three years. But he's still, he's still pretty young for a goalkeeper. He's doing what you want from a goalkeeper, which is, is keep the ball out of the net. Um, so, I think, probably the ideal scenario is De Gea signs a new contract on, on lesser terms, which it seems that he's amenable to. And, you know, he's, he, he's a very switched on footballer. He's not gonna be looking at it thinking I should be on 375 grand a week here. I think he'll probably be accepting that that contract was, was maybe a little fortunate that was, you know, it came at a particular time. He's, he's probably aware that now's the time that that sort of comes down um, as, as his career progresses. and. And you keep someone like Heaton as number three and, and look to bring in a number two who is maybe better with his feet and, and can get to the point of, of challenging De Gea, I think that is probably the, the way to go. But if De Gea does sign a longer term deal on, uh, on reduced terms, then I think that's, that is the best scenario for United at the moment.
1: Uh, do you agree, Samuel, with her well, we're we'll
0: tied. I don't Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, our resident
2: goalkeeping expert here. Absolutely, De Gea has he has done well this season, and it has been a long time since his his distribution or his his limitations distributing the ball have actually been topical or, or discussed. He's, I mean, shot stopping. I think if. If the Nexus set was fired at someone's goal, De Gea is still the keeper that you'd want to to keep it out. Uh, some of the saves he's made during his time at United have, have defied belief, and he's he's got some resilience about him as well. In that he he's come he came through that sticky period of probably two years really. He had a very very poor. Uh, run of form towards the end of the eighteen nineteen season. He wasn't wholly convincing in nineteen twenty. Then Henderson came in, and there was the rotation and the indecision of the manager. Uh, the The best thing that could have happened, really, for De Gea and it's it's unfortunate for Dean Henderson was was Henderson getting COVID because it ensured that Hen that Dyer started the season. And that was not solskjaer's plan um as, as i wrote at the time and then henderson uh, rather um confirmed in, in in the only way that dean henderson could with that interview with talk sport in the summer but terjea to, to his credit he you know i think he he realizes as, as ty said he's he's not going to necessarily get a really good move elsewhere now i think that in 2019 when he, his he had one year left in his contract there was still an argument there that he had that aura about him that you could see maybe Juventus going for him, and he'd, he'd, let's face it, I think he'd still be an upgrade on Juventus on Juventus's keeper in Chesney, uh, but Juventus aren't in a particularly great place anymore. It's very difficult to see where he would go if he if he did leave United and he's he's actually become quite wedded to united now which nobody expected in 2014 or 15 when it was very clear that he wanted to to join real madrid and he he would have done but for that fax machine malfunction but he's been at united for, for nearly 12 years now and he's he's very attached to the club and he's he, I think he used the words this is my club last night to me it was it was it was peculiar in that had, you had know, I had that um, that privilege of that access to him. I was, I was the only one down the mix zone last night because Simon Peach is uh, selling himself in Mexico or the States or, or wherever it is, uh, as he does every time this year. But when, when De Gea is in the form he is in at the moment, the, goalkeep, the goalkeeping issue is, is, is a non-issue. And also this year, United need to invest heavily in a striker, a goal scorer, if they're having to invest heavily in a goalkeeper as well, and they would have to be if they wanted to change the guard there, it's very difficult to justify that um, when a, a top class forward is going to cost them the best part of £100 million. So if they can keep De Gea performing at the level he is at the moment for another two or three years, I think everyone's a winner there.
1: Absolutely. And you'll be a winner, ladies and gentlemen, if you go over to Manchester EveningNews.co.uk uh, forward slash Manchester United for all the latest on United's hunt for a new goalkeeper and a striker with any luck in the January transfer window. And of course, we'll have all the latest news over there um, from United's upcoming cup fixtures against Everton and Chartland. That brings the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast oh. to a lovely end thank you all very much for listening once again and of course if you want to see uh, ugly mugs in living colour please go over and check out our brand new YouTube channel it's at Manchester United MEN you seem to be responding to it very nicely so if you've not checked in on it yet go and click and subscribe and um, have a watch of all the great content on there and please do enjoy let us know how you're finding it and you know you can give this podcast a share too that wouldn't go amiss so everyone. Anyway, Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back with you next week to talk about that Everton game and any new shakes and moves in the transfer market. But until then, it's goodbye for now. So, Ralph.